Welcome to the Hobcast Book Show, a weekly podcast from Hobeck Books, an independent publisher of thrillers, crime, mystery and suspense novels. Each week, we'll take you behind the scenes of what we do, the challenges and the triumphs, the bumps and troughs of running a creative business in this challenging world. We'll hear from the people who make this possible, the authors, the cover designers and editors, and we'll have expert insights from our guest star interviews. Nothing is off the agenda on the Hopcast Book Show from Hobeck Books, as we combine trad values and an indie spirit. And welcome to the Hopcast, episode number 140. I should give it its full title, episode 140 of the Hopcast Book Show. Welcome to the show. My name's Adrian Hobart. My name is Rebecca Collins. And together we run Hobeck Books, UK independent publishers of the following four genres. Thrillers. Mysteries. Crime. And suspense. <laughs> Pause then, I was thinking, am I supposed to say? No. Well, welcome to the show. And... Um, we ought to say, first of all, that our guest is the wonderful Elaine Bousfield, who is uh, a publisher. And you met her at the IPG Sp- uh, Autumn Conference, Autumn. not Spring one, yeah, uh, in London. And uh, uh, her b- company is Zuntold. That's right. So we we did have somebody lined up. And in fact, we told everybody we were going to be talking to Neat Nielsen and her sister. But unfortunately, they had to drop out. And... Elaine stepped in at the last minute because I met her right at the end of the conference and I, I said, oh, by the way, we do a podcast. Would you like to come on? And she said yes. Which was great. And uh, it's a fantastic interview. So Elaine is our guest a little later. So let's pick up on the events of last week. And episode 139 was um, a little different format-wise. Yes, just a little. Content-wise. And I'd like to thank personally everybody who's responded to the the program about uh, my mental health crisis the week before and the depths it reached um, I'm extremely grateful and I'm still here so that's a good thing but uh, it's been a wobbly old week I mean there have been periods where I've been productive and other periods where I've just been a zombie but I think that's the nature of these things but I am enormously gratified by the level of response from listeners and from people on social media but also particularly I'd like to thank the author community, our Hobeck author community in particular, for their support. Yes, it's been, yeah, we've had lots of um, goodwill and um, encouragement and ideas from our authors. So. And indeed, some practical support as well. So for that, I, I am enormously um, grateful. And so we are here this week and we will continue to be. And I'm bouncing, I'm not bouncing back, but I'm getting back to where I should be. And uh, that's that's a good thing. So let's carry on with the show as we would normally and get into the news. First of all, let's get a report from your trip to the IPG Autumn Conference. Now, I I know I've been rather truculent about the IPG in recent weeks. I mean, specifically, the, the, the bookseller report about the closure of uh, our friends Red Dog Press and indeed Sandstone and... The, the chair of the IPG saying, Princess Bridget Shine, saying, oh, I wouldn't worry about the independent sector. There's always new book companies coming up. Yeah, we just we just felt that was a little sort of blinkered a bit. Um, 
but so I I was lucky enough. I got a free ticket to the IPG Autumn Conference because this this it, it's not a cheap no oh, no it's, adventure at all. No, it's a big investment. It's a big investment. But now I've been, I can see where the money goes, and I think it is it it does have a lot of value. Um, I mean it it was well really well attended. There were four hundred people there. They said that was the most well attended ever. So there are obviously new members of the IPG coming along as well. Um. And it started at 9am and finished at 6, six o'clock in the evening. So it was a full day and there, were, there wasn't much hanging around. You know, it was bang, 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 bang with talks and mm. activities. Yeah. Um, and the theme of the day was, um, surprise, surprise, AI. But it was, it was really good. It wasn't just um, this is what AI does. It, we should be scared. Run away. It was... AI is here to stay. AI is, you know, it's it's here now. It's not something in the future you need to worry about. You need to be thinking about it now. And this is what you need to be thinking about, positive and negative. Um, so it was really, really useful. What were your positive takeaways on the subject of AI? Um, I think um, that it um, has a lot of potential as a tool for publishing because the nature of the business of publishing, there's a lot of admin and you have customers who have different needs, whether they be readers or booksellers or salespeople or libraries, you know, whatever it is. And it's all publishing is a lot of publishing is about transformation, trans, transport of data to all these different people, as well as the product. And AI can be a tool to help you communicate with the different people in different ways and get the data to them and get data back again. So there's a lot of potential as a tool. Now, the other side of AI, of course, is generating content, mm-hmm. creative content. Now, that is the the area to be cautious about. And um, it, I, the impression I got is that uh, the bodies who are in charge of that, for example, the Copyright Licensing Agency, are playing catch-up a little bit because it's already happening that content is being generated by AI and passed off as or um, is very close to creators' content without any um, legislation in place to police that and make sure that the originators of the creators, originators of the content are being treated fairly in terms of... Um, Remuneration. Re- yeah, exactly. Uh, and attribution. All those things. Yeah. So they are playing catch-up and they're working very hard at the moment to get there. Um, so that was a little bit worrying, but they did keep saying, you know, we will make sure that people get back payment. I don't know how they do that. Yeah. but I mean, it's an interesting thing because the, the, the UK government are, are, are thinking about this, but they're not acting particularly quickly. And of course, there'll be uh, bodies within the AI, you know, sort of creation community, the, the people actually writing the programs and releasing these things who will be lobbying hard for this not to be the case. But it it, it, it will be glacial speed, I think, in which the things are adopted. And then as we've already seen, as we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, it doesn't stop stuff being pirated anyway. No, and it's interesting you say that because um, there was a couple of mentions of piracy, but there was a, a noticeable reticence to go too deeply into that subject which i found fascinating because i thought mm. why well i think i think it's 
the nature of piracy, it's whack-a-mole, isn't it? I mean, you, you take out one outfit that are doing piracy and then another one springs up, which is exactly what happened to the, the you know, the, I mean, we won't name them again, but the outfit who have pirated our stuff basically were created to as a as a, a response to another um you know open source library of copyrighted material being shut down by the department of justice in the united states and so this lot of set up and yeah. and, and this will continue to happen absolutely and i did a bit of research at the time and i found something um the alliance of independent authors so they there was a an old posting about a previous piracy site saying oh we are outraged on part of our authors and we're going to act on it and i was reading it thinking that's exactly the same almost you know mm, exactly it was, it was just a different clothing so yeah well it's it's going to be a very difficult area anyway well, so that's interesting that they're talking about ai uh, and it was dominating things because it's it's very much in the news as well yes of course it is yeah and so uh, let's um, just pick up a couple of stories that i've seen um i picked them up in the guardian actually and the first is a new change of policy uh, at Amazon because there is a new phenomenon where, I mean, basically, you don't have to go very far on YouTube to see people's propagating ideas of how to sell on Amazon by, uh, in in the first case, you know, getting products made in China, shipped over here, and then you flog them, drop shipped, um, you know, very cheaply and, and try and make a, make a fortune doing that. And now it's the same with books. And so what people have been doing in, and I'm certainly aware of this a couple of years ago, a friend actually who started working for a company who was commissioning people all around the world to write 10,000 word books on a particular subject and then just shoving it up there with a cover, uh, generating text effectively, mm-hmm. not particularly well written. But, you know, they were finding things that people wanted answers to and then they were selling those books mm-hmm. and shoving them up on, on Amazon as cheaply as possible with, you know, people being paid pittance for the for the actual work. Now they can use AI to generate those books. And so Amazon have reacted by limiting account holders with KDP, Kindle Direct Publishing, to just, you can only upload three books a day now. And that's going to stop it, is it? <laughs> it's interesting isn't it because um there may be an occasion where a publisher well there certainly will be an occasion where a publisher might need to upload more than three books a day um so yes it's not going to stop it of course it's not because within a week they could still upload 21 books yeah <laughs> and indeed have multiple accounts so you know they just set up further accounts uh, KDP accounts and, and, and carry on that way. But anyway, that's one move that Amazon have taken. The other thing is that they're now asking, the, you were saying that you've, you've heard that there's a, a drop-down box which says, has any of this book been generated by AI or had it, in, it been impacted by AI? Yes, so that's on, on the KDP ba- uh, dashboard, uh, the content page. So you, you have three pages when you upload a book. First one is metadata, second one is content, where you upload the files, and the third one is pricing. So on the content page, when you upload the files, there's a box that wasn't there like two weeks ago, and it asks you, is any part of your book generated by AI content? Now, that's quite a broad question. I've been answering no for us because our authors are certainly not AI generating their content, to our knowledge, although there's nothing in the contract at the moment to stipulate that, but we trust them. Mm -hmm. And the same with the covers. But then you could argue AI content 
AI-generated content includes using Grammarly, using ProWriterAid, uses um, any of those sort of... Pseudo-write. Yes. Yeah. And also, even Photoshop. Well, you manipulate an image, isn't that AI? Well, and, and the other thing to mention is that AI... Uh, sorry, that Adobe have now brought in... Um, they've released Adobe Express, so you can create images just by entering some text and it'll come up some ideas. And also, Photoshop now has an AI element to it, uh, which I haven't explored, but it is uh, a sort of hybrid between, you know, completely iterative, you know, generative stuff mm. where you put in, you know, what you want. Uh, and it can impose the image for you. So um, it's it's really... Uh, you know, it's it's halfway house between full AI and human creation. But that's what I mean. By it, it, we're sort of playing catch up because a lot of the technologies that we already use are uh, aided by AI. And somebody raised a really interesting question at the um, IPG conference. They put their hand up and they said, um, I'm a publisher, but I'm also a university lecturer. And one of my authors has just sent her manuscript and she said, I apologise for the state of my manuscript, but Grammarly w- wasn't working for me. Now, this author is dyslexic. She relies on Grammarly to tidy her manuscript up to a, a level that she's happy with to go to the publishers for then further editing. And this person said, but is Grammarly is AI. So if I put in the contract, um, there must be no AI-assisted work in this um, manuscript. I'm excluding people with learning issues or dyslexia, yeah, yeah. ADHD, who might rely on these things. Well, I mean, the, the, this is going to be the thing. You, you know, as soon as you make it nuanced, um, any sort of legislation that's brought in or rules, uh, you know, it will um, allow people to use that as a loophole. But at the same time, you, it should be there to um, allow people with neurodiverse issues to improve their work um, yeah. and, and publish their work. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it really is a can of worms. It is, it? It's, it, but it's fascinating. So I, uh, my head was exploding by the end of the day I bet it was. I bet it was. <laughs> you, you, yeah, you came back stuffed full of ideas and we're, we're developing one or two things and, and talking to a couple of people off the back of um, things that you heard. So uh, we'll, you know, we'll see how things develop. Uh, also on AI, um, this is... Um, you know, obviously, at the centre of the Hollywood dispute at the moment, where basically every film production is 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 on strike because uh, the writers and indeed the actors are very concerned about AI replacing them, yes, and that Hollywood um, are not taking this issue seriously, so everything's been shut down. But uh, it's also affecting the book industry directly because uh, a number of really big names, author names have joined a, a class action against the creators of ChatGPT, which is a, a company called OpenAI. And uh, the names include John Grisham, Jody Pico, and Jonathan Franson. Oh, very well known. As well as writers. George R. R. Martin. Mm. And they're suing OpenAI um, because the company, or the, they claim the company has trampled over their copyright by feeding its program with their books, training it not only in natural language, but perhaps eventually to produce page-turners of its own. The lawsuit alleges, for example, that ChatGPT has already created an unauthorised and detailed outline for a prequel to George R. R. Martin's Game of Thrones. 
entitled, not entirely convincingly, A Dawn of Dire Wolves. <laughs> the legal case may help to define and protect those increasingly porous boundaries between human creativity and the robots that mimic it. And as I, we've already mentioned, it talks about here about uh, Amazon limiting the number of books that you can put up to three now, per when, day. When you told me about this, I put the um, idea to you that this is not different from a mega fan of um, George Martin, for example, who's read all the books, watched everything and absorbed everything about Game of Thrones, writing a prequel as a fan fan fiction. Uh, yes, and, and my argument, counter-argument would be that it's not... Yeah, I mean, both are inspired by the work, but there is human agency in the fan fiction. And I think that fan fiction is an interesting one because I think George Lucas is, is one of the first people to sort of acknowledge that he'd created something that people wanted to recreate mm. in, in the Star Wars universe. And so actually he embraced the people who were going out and making their own f homemade films mm -hmm. set in the Star Wars universe, and they're incredibly sophisticated nowadays. And actually, every year, Lucasfilm, um, this is prior to Disney taking it over, I don't know if they still do it, but they used to have a fan film festival where there were awards for the best Star Wars-inspired films. So that's a good example of, of a quite clever thinking by the original creator, because they're saying, I'm not going to fight it. There's no point in me fighting it, and in fact, it makes me look. In that case, I'm yes. talking about makes me look a bit petty. So I'm gonna, you know, it's a bit like, don't fight them, join them. You know, he's embracing it and actually using it to his benefit because it ultimately would bring more fans to Star Wars. Yeah, but I mean, you've got to say overall, copyright is a piece of legislation and 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 the a framework that doesn't work anyway. In, in the very literal sense that there is a casquillion, if that's a word. That is that, you've used that word before. Casquillion um, examples of copyright theft on YouTube. And we all consume it. You know, I want to look up a clip of something that I remember from, you know, 1973 movie, whatever. It'll be there because someone else has put it up and is making money from it, potentially, if they've got enough subscribers to that channel. And sometimes you will get a disclaimer saying you know uh you know copied this put this up here but it's in no means supposed to be a breach of copyright is and all it, that sort of thing is it normally just a clip of the film yeah but i mean it's interesting that a lot of music companies for instance are taking down um this is phenomenon on on youtube particularly where people listen to tracks of classic records and react to them as if they've never heard them for the you know so they're hearing it for the first time and they're analyzing what they think of it and a lot of companies now are taking those down because they say that's a breach of using the song. And so, for instance, um, even this last couple of weeks with the release of a new Rolling Stones sing single, I've seen people who have had their content taken down mm. because they've sat there watching the video going, man, that's great. Oh, it's great to have them back. You know, who can believe they're in their 80s and all that sort of stuff. Even that's been taken down because it's a breach of whichever company the, the Stones are with. Uh, copyright and and so this it, it again it's this whack-a-mole thing you know cease and desist we we sent out cease and desist notices a couple of weeks ago it doesn't really work no it doesn't and you know there will this proliferation of the use of, of copyrighted content will just carry on 
But the AI thing is, if I were to feed in, let us, for instance, say, um, we want a new book from one of our authors. And so we feed in all the previous ones, and then we generate something on ChatGPT or something like that, or Jasper AI or, or PseudoWrite or whatever, and then say to them, right, um, we, we've come up with, uh, you know, here's your, here's your new book. Just needs you to sign the contract, and we'll, you know you'll get the money for it. But you know we wanted to run quicker than than you're delivering. But you're deceiving the readers, then, aren't you? Yes, absolutely. Mm. But that's people are going to do that. But you know, equally, this is going on longer than we anticipated. <laughs> but this is an important issue. Where does ghostwriting sit in it? Because so few ghostwriters get a credit on the book. They get they, paid, though. They get paid, but that's not the point, is it? Because you're deceiving the readers. I mean, people are reading. This Christmas, there'll be a, dozens of celebrity biographies, autobiographies, that weren't written by the celebrities. They may have sat for a few hours with the author, and very likely did. And, you know, they'd have, and I've got a friend who's a ghostwriter uh, for biographies, and, and what he does is he spends hours talking to them, and they go through different aspects of life, and they go over it again. It's a bit like a massive police interview. And then he will try and recreate the voice of that person. Yeah. But he doesn't get a credit normally. No. And, uh, yes, he gets paid for it. And, uh, and, 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 you know, look, as an author of ghost-written stuff, you would be, you know, you, you have to get comfortable with that. But you're not telling the public what they're really getting. It's not the authentic voice. No, and they do, they do it with fiction as well because, uh, do you remember when we went to Exeter? Mm. Uh, there was a ghostwriter there and she said, there's some, something quite well known I've ghostwritten for, but I can't tell you. Exactly. No, there's, an, you know, they have an NDA. Like romance, and, fiction. Yeah. And, you know, Katie Price famously has released dozens of books which have been ghostwritten, all of them. Mm. And she, you know, she puts herself out there and sort of says, oh, I'm really proud of my latest book. And it's like, you know, this is, there is so much dishonesty within publishing anyway Let's be perfectly frank about it. I mean, you know, if you're being really hardcore about it, that we've kind of got used to it happening and don't really raise an objection Open to it. Open secrets. Yeah. So how is this any different? It's just the reason it's different is that the publishing industry has no control over this and that's what they don't like about it. No, so that's why they're racing to get control. Absolutely. But, you know, at its heart, they have been... Um, you know, duplicitous in the past anyway, in terms of actually attributing who created the work in the first place. And they're, I mean, I think they're comfortable with as long as it's been commissioned mm -hmm. by a publishing house, that gives it enough authenticity to, for them to put it out there without further attribution. Whereas what's happening here is that they have no control over what's going out in the style of, or in the name of, or, or whatever. And that is that is different. I mean, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, there are so many people stuffing Amazon with dozens and dozens, or indeed three a day now, titles, which have had almost no human input, apart from asking an AI program to generate 10,000 words on a subject, mm -hmm. shove it out there, put a cover on it, you know, call a pig a pig, you know. Um, it's 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 a really big problem, and for us as genuine creators and commissioners of creative work, fighting to get our books sold on these platforms, knowing that they're you know and, and how much work goes into each book, 
and um, you know we wrote to our authors last week and said, look, we're going to have to slow down production because it's it, a very expensive, and b too time consuming to to try and to turn out books as quickly as we have been. Mm. So we're going the other way. Whereas somebody unscrupulous is using these systems to churn out hundreds of titles and filling that marketplace, particularly in the non-fiction market, I think. Yes, but it's basically economics, isn't it? Yeah. As it all boils down to is is the rational being will do that. <laughs> Not very rational. So and, and there's an education piece to be done here for readers and the listeners of this show in a sense that, you know, how do you spot the fake? I mean, it's that kind of well, thing. Well, it's, it's going to become much more difficult to spot the fake. I think we can now. Only can, yeah. Yeah, but it's going to become more difficult. It's not that difficult. to. I mean, I, I, I think it would be worth us doing a Hobeck Books experiment to <laughs> to see what we come up with, and we'll have to get the permission of one of our authors. But let's say, for instance, we do put, feed in, you know, uh, AJ Aberford's five books, and then I'll oh, do another funny. George Zamet. I was Zammet. thinking of that. Yeah, yeah. Let's get let's get let's see if we can do a sixth George Zamet. There is one coming, by the way. Um, but uh, and see if it's generated. Well, I mean, it has you know, to be the that... seventh George Zamet. He's written the sixth. Yes, exactly. But I mean, <laughs> yeah. but no. no we, I mean, I, I, that's that's you know, I'm sure uh, Tony is listening to this. Will be thinking, no, that's not happening. Well, <laughs> you know, but the the point is an, is, a, is an important one. And uh, obviously it's dominated thoughts at the IPG, but the trouble is actually getting ourselves as an industry organised and as a reading public organised to see the dangers before it's already too late. It's probably already escaped. The, the genie's out of the bottle on this one. In my, yeah, in no, my no I, I agree. And that's the impression I got from the IPG. It's it's like a sort of scrabbling up the mountain to get there, but they're already at the top saying, ha ha. Yeah, well, they were, you know, it was always going to happen that way. But um, okay, well, let's not dwell on something too depressing. But I mean, it's worth discussing because the more we discuss it, the more people are going to be aware of it. So yeah, I don't think it's depressing. I think it's just something. It's actually something we can't not talk about. Anyway, I've got a confession to make that um, I was updating our Archpub website, and we do all our websites through Wix, and they do AI text generation for your. Promo, you know, if you want to put a bit of a text in your box <laughs> so on your website, it. I did use some. Just thought it would be interesting to see what it was like, and? because I was, to be perfectly honest, I got bored of entering because they're, you know, what they wanted on each page was something to show up on Google, yeah, to describe further what's on that page or to talk more about the company and put more keywords in. So I just thought, you know what, I've done about five or six of these things. I just thought, oh, I'll just hit that button and see what, what it comes up with. And it was perfectly reasonable. Mm. I mean, that's the trouble. It's, 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 it's as good as you know me spending 20 minutes over one box. I can just knock it off in, that, in that, three seconds. That's an example of you using it as a tool to make workflow better. Uh, exactly. And, there's nothing, and as far as I'm concerned, anything that makes my workflow better and gives me more free time, happy. I'm happy. Yeah, that's the thing. That's the thing where it, it's pernicious because, in a way, we are – we're sitting on the, not sitting on the fence. We're we're saying it's great if it helps me, but it's terrible if it if it dents our business. I don't so, think that is sitting on the fence. Well, I don't know. I mean, you know, where it, you, it's not where, black and white, is it? It's not. It's either good or either terrible. It's no depends how you use it. No, exactly. Well, that's it, and that's the argument other people will make. Well, I look, I, I haven't got the time to write a book, so I'll just get it to generate one. Um, which, you know, so this it's it's two extremes from the spectrum, but it's the same principle. 
So that is, I mean, I can't believe we're getting this philosophical on the Hofcast book show. And we okay. need to get to our interview. <laughs> okay, let's, 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 let's talk to Elaine. Um, now, you met Elaine, as you said, at the sort of drinks element at the end of the day yeah. at the IPG. And by this point, you were flat out knackered. Oh, yeah, totally. You, you kept sending me messages saying, I'm really gone. I'm a zombie. I can't get home. It's, it's too much. <laughs> and, um, you know, look, I understand it because as we've discussed on this program many, many times, we both have social batteries which run well, they run out quicker than the, the average smartphone. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Um, a lot quicker than the average one these days. Even the old ones, you know. Um, yeah. But the fact is that um, you, you met Elaine and you just hit it off immediately. Yeah. she. Uh, we just we stood next to each other and I was sort of thinking, I need to go to Euston, even though my train's not due for an hour. And then I looked up and there she was and we, we she just said, oh, where are you from? And then we started talking and... Realise that we um different publishers, different content, but very similar lifestyles and situations. So yeah, yeah I think talking. that that was the the point of kinship is that you know, sort of things we've been talking about about you know waking up at three in the morning worrying about the business um, as we do regularly or wondering uh, how do how do we get the end end of month end before the money comes in from Amazon. That sort of thing is 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 prevalent. But um, Elaine has taken a different approach to publishing in the sense that that, that she has a there's a there's a drive in a different sphere behind Zuntold, her company. She's a mental health professional and in the past set up a company which provided online and digital mental health support, which she then sold on. Now she's gone into the publishing sphere, particularly for age groups uh, which are middle grade, young adults, and uh, now increasingly in adult fiction – publishing stories which have a resonance on certain issues around mental health or diversity or, or things like that and she is leading on this uh, new movement which is called bibliotherapy which is partly you know using books as the actual phys- you know reading books as a way to improve your mental health but also creative writing around mental health and how that can improve things as well and using the books that she publishes, as Untold, as the platform for debate and illustrating the issues that people are, are, are affected by. It's really inspiring. And she has uh, started to work with health bodies yeah. to, 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 to increase this um, access to bibliotherapy. Uh, she'll explain more. But basically, that's, that's the, the principle behind it, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, so it's a fascinating interview. It really is. So let's talk to Elaine Bousfield. Well, it's an absolute delight to be joined by Elaine Bousfield. Thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Well, thank you for coming at such short notice because you met Rebecca well, as we Two speak days, three, three, days. three days ago. Wednesday, Wednesday at the IPG conference. And it was right at the end as well. It was the sort of, you know, the, the final drinks. And I was just thinking, right, I better go in a minute. <laughs> And I, I, was it, it was, I think it was my skirt. What was that your skirt? Was it? Was he? Oh, you see, I'm getting confused now. Somebody came up to me and said they like my skirt. Was it you? I noticed your skirt actually. That's it. It was you. And I noticed your red shoes as well. And 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 I noticed them earlier in the day. And I remember thinking, oh, I like that lady's skirt, and I like her shoes. But I didn't say anything to you. <laughs> no, but I think I, I think I was just standing there with a beer, and you had a glass of wine. I think, yeah. And I think we just caught each other's eye. We just started chatting, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. 
yeah it was great it was a lovely conference absolutely brilliant oh it's fantastic I was yeah, shattered the next day I didn't get home to getting too old for these things <laughs> no no never too old <laughs> well I'm so glad you two met and um I mean how do you how do you approach an event like that because we've I mean, we, we, we do this podcast and I've been a broadcaster and yet people are really surprised when we say we're reasonably introverted, especially in social situations like that. We find it very, very hard. What What's your, um, do, do you approach those with, with dread or do you, do you look forward to them? <laughs> do you know, it's a, it's a bit of a mixture really. So I'm not an introvert. I am quite extrovert, but I'm also, um, I also have my own, like we all do, sort of own sort of a, anxiety sort of characteristics I suppose if I'm honest so um so how do I approach it I always go in thinking I'm not going to know anybody because I'm relatively newish to publishing although you know we've been going a few years now but um Covid kind of stole three years from us if I'm honest um so yeah so I kind of approach it with an open mind and an open heart and I'm looking forward to it and I like meeting new people and I really love the workshops and the seminars and I'm not shy about asking questions and um, so I suppose I've got that level of confidence but but it is hard when it's you don't know anybody and you're there on your own and you see these it's not in the seminars it's easy isn't it or in the, in the plenary sessions it's easy you can ask questions but it's the bits in between meal times and like the bits at the end where you see little cliques of people little groups of people in standing in little circles and you think hmm do I just go over and introduce myself how do I do that so I'm always a bit reticent to do that because because it's a chance for people who do know each other to get to meet up. And so I'm always a bit aware of that. So there's always a little bit of anxiety around those bits of the, of those kind of events. Um, what I tend to do is um, um, I find that the meal time's a good one because you have to sit somewhere. <laughs> so I just often just plonk myself down and then introduce myself and just chat to people while I'm eating. But I think if, I think if I was going in to try to sell, I'd be more anxious. But if I'm just going in to listen and learn and absorb, it doesn't feel quite so much of a pressure, I suppose. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And the great food helped, didn't it? Oh my God. The food was brilliant. <laughs> I and mean, I just, I must admit, I just, it's the first IPG conference I've been to and I was pretty blown away by it really. I thought it was really amazing on all levels. Yeah, I mean, me too. I we went yeah. to the virtual one during lockdown, mm. where you sort of virtually went into the breakout rooms and virtually went to. The... Yeah, it wasn't <laughs> quite the same. Food, obviously, no. The food, I I, I took lots of photos of the mini muffins yeah. and the sausage rolls with the mustard dip, and I was getting so jealous. All these photos <laughs> arriving. I wasn't telling it where I was. I did tell you a bit about the conference. Oh, you but... did, absolutely. No, I got a stream of consciousness about. Oh, and there's this, and then there's that, and we could do this, and, and which is great. Exactly what you want to go to one of those four is to come away with yeah. half a dozen inspiring possibilities and, and, yeah. and that sort of thing. But anyway, I mean, you know, so you say, I mean, Zuntold is your company, and you've been going a few years. How long exactly? Well, long story. What happened was, I used to have an. Uh, I used to own a company which I ran with my husband we sold that but I stayed on for five years and I I, I knew I wanted to set up a publishing company because I've I 
usual reasons love reading love books love writing everything like that mm. and, and understand the power of it really from a therapeutic perspective as well so I kind of set the company up in 2016 but didn't do anything with it because I thought I did need to research publishing really and um and then I went to see a friend of mine an old university friend of mine who owns a publishing company and she said don't do it <laughs> she said <laughs> She said, and you clearly took her advice. I didn't. I should have. Perhaps I should have done. But she said, "There's a, there's a." She told me that um, that infamous quote about the publishing industry that if you want to make a million pounds in publishing, you have to invest ten to begin with, which was a bit alarming, really. But she, but she's. I mean, she's, she's, she's runs a very successful, small but successful independent publishing house. So it was useful talking to her. Um, but I didn't understand how the industry worked. I didn't understand the nuts and bolts of it at all. And we published our first book in 2018. And um, and then I, I, I worked with a little marketing company that helped me kind of help build my brand. And then in 2019, we did another three books. And then and then, of course, in 2020, we had four lined up and then the pandemic hit. Yeah. And it was like everything closed. And and we was you know it was just to be honest with you I say we it was me basically mm. me. and uh, my r- rather reluctant husband doing my accounts for me it was me you know um and um and it, that was really hard really hard and I felt really despondent um and yeah it was really tough actually because I wanted to support my authors but it was like we'd sold one of our books one of our kind of best seller selling books the year I didn't eat by Sam Pollan I think we'd sold something like 400 tickets at the Edinburgh Festival. And of course, it was all cancelled. Yeah. It was just difficult, really difficult. And um, so in my usual style, I thought, what can I do? And and my background is in mental health. And um, I've sort of like developed digital mental health services. And I was reading about bibliotherapy and the power of bibliotherapy. So we, I got worked with my old developer for my old business and we set up a, a minimum viable product like an online therapy program which uses books we put all our books digitized all our books you can use our books you can also talk to a therapist about creative writing and and and, and counseling but using creative writing techniques to help you support you with your therapy and we trained 10 counselors and we then ran that and then we got a small contract with Salford um, clinical commissioning group to run that mm-hmm. yeah and then they got swallowed up by the whole changes in the NHS, which all the CCGs were closed. And they yes. got amalgamated into these huge organisations called Integrated Care Boards, Integrated Care Systems, ICSs. So, but luckily there was some funding slippage money. So we got funded for a second year. We've been running that programme. It's worked really, really well. And then I got some money from Innovate UK to develop that living book um, concept out a bit further. And we've got a new platform we're launching in November so it's been in some ways the pandemic was hard, but but it also kind of, I suppose, got me thinking, well, what else could we do? Yes. If we can't sell our books, what else can we do to kind of build a bit of a, a brand for ourselves in the publishing sector, I suppose? So we've got all sorts of plans, but uh well, yeah. it's very exciting. I think that's it's amazing. I mean, I'm just thinking back to my own um life, if I may, for yeah. a moment, because <laughs> Uh, at a time around that 2018, 2019 period, my life started to unravel in a major way in terms of anxiety, stress, depression, marriage breakup, meeting Rebecca. I mean, all, you know, terrible things. Um, 
And <laughs> beating me in the class of terrible things. <laughs> that was firm, tongue firmly in I cheek. know, I know. Um, but uh, uh, the, the, the fact is that when I was at work, and I was just working at the BBC in Salford, ironically, um, I started to write. And that's all I could, that was my compulsion. I couldn't do, uh, you know, I got pulled up for it. As you can imagine, I'm the, you know, deputy head of world sport and I'm sitting there writing a novel Um, (laughs) because actually a lot of my day was incredibly dull, just waiting for the next person to come up to my desk and say, can I have 10 minutes? And that was uh, fine. You know, I don't mind doing that element of the job, but in between times I didn't have a lot to do. So I filled it with, you know, using Google Docs and writing a book and the yeah. therapy and the feeling of freedom and, you know, uh, kind of suspension of all the things that were crushing in on me by entering yeah. that literary world was amazing. Yes. So I do I do understand exactly what that can do for people. Yes, yes. Well, we've 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 um, I mean, working in Salford with, uh, you know, working with kind of like our clients in Salford, we've just seen such amazing changes some amazing trans- amazing transformations really where people have said that this that this is really kind of giving their, their life a whole new purpose and a whole new meaning because we don't just all of our all of our, our kind of um sort of they're all therapists they're all counselors and psychotherapists yeah. but we um they, so they do the usual counseling but they will use creative writing techniques to help look at things from a different angle so they'll use things like psychic distancing or we will use poetry. And it's just been people have started writing novels. It, it's been quite incredible. Um, so we really want to develop that work. We really want to do, we really do want to develop that work. And our new platform, it, what we're really excited about our new platform is that we've taken all of our books and we've built them as a digital, a proper digital book. So you can actually read them on your phone, you can turn the pages on your phone and you can also listen. We've also recorded them. So you've got the audio oh, wow. yeah. and, and the text. And then around the book, we've built lots of reflections and exercises and you can book an appointment with your bibliotherapist through the book. So you actually talk to. So it's very, very exciting. And what I'm hoping our, our big, big, because we publish, we love publishing and we want to carry on publishing, but it takes a long time to get a book from concept to, to production, as you know. Mm. So we want to get, we want to make sure that people have got a really massive library of books that we can use. So we're looking to work with other publishers and other writers who might be publishing books in all sorts of genres that have got a kind of an emotional journey or a mental health theme or life challenges in them that um that people can use as part of their therapy so uh yeah we're really hoping to put bibliotherapy digital bibliotherapy on the map really that's our big our mission statement is to harness the healing potential of books so that's what we want to do yeah that is incredible it's fascinating is it because there's you know you hear a lot about art therapy and yeah you know but it's it's the same really it's just a different medium but so yeah. but you know there's not much about i've never heard the phrase bibliotherapy before um i looked at your website so you know i i think it's it's very exciting yeah 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 we've got a long journey but well, that, that's <laughs> true and, and but that's before, but it's still a long but, journey <laughs> well that, that's the nature of publishing and i think that there's a lot of people out there sort of saying, I mean, you have that advice, don't do it. And and um and I don't think we ever we ever stopped to ask people for their advice and they probably would have said the same thing same thing. And we absolutely understand just how long it is to get things motoring because there are one or two people 
who took advantage of the development of of KDP and digital publishing in that fashion and became rock stars overnight and very mm-hmm. wealthy. But actually, that's not the nature of of the business, really, especially I, in this country, I think. No, no, I don't think it is. I don't think it is. I, I, I think, um, no, I, I don't think it is at all. And of course, it's about, you know, it is about, it, it, it's, we work like we like you probably you do as well we work with debut writers so we work we mm-hmm. one of the things I really wanted to do so we work with a mixture of agents and we also work but we also work with writers that don't have agents as well so we've got some established writers on our on who we work with so we, we publish but we've also got some brand new writers and it's their first book with we're their first publisher and um as you know when you when you work the debut writer quite often writing's a craft isn't it it's like it's it's probably one of the most difficult crafts there is I think to you know it's it and and quite often you'll get scripts come in that you really like and really believe in but they need quite a lot of developmental work Mm. so you know some of the some of the um you know and, and you look at it and you think okay I really like this but how much time am I gonna have to invest in either me editing or working with another editor on this piece of work. And it's always a, it's always a sort of a, you know, it's always a sort of like a, a difficult decision, isn't it really? Mm. Um, but it's an exciting, it's part of the excitement as well. It is part of the excitement as well. And um, yeah, we work with, we've got, we've got, um, we've got a lovely team. We're all, we're all freelancers in Suntold. None of us are on the payroll. We're all freelancers because yeah. We're not there yet, really. Yeah. So, yeah, we've yeah. got a freelance designer, editor. Actually, yeah. one of our authors does a lot of proofreading for, for in exchange for books. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think it's just when you're independent, you just have to just have to kind of, you know, it's just trying to make it work, isn't it? And then you just want that really. Yeah. I, I often think to myself, all this hard work surely the universe is going to smile upon us at some point <laughs> yeah I know that feeling too <laughs> Elaine um you mentioned the authors and the sort of books you're publishing that that's quite a specific niche that you're working in so how do you find people who can combine the skill as an author and have the underlying skills and knowledge in the areas that you're 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 commissioning yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Really, really good question. To be honest, they don't. They, they ultimately, uh, it's been my experience that really good books have got those themes. Most good literature has got things in it that we can learn from and reflect upon. So, so when we when we're kind of commissioning books or we, we're choosing. Um, books to, to publish so I'll give you I'll give you a really really good example so Jacqueline King she is she wrote a cake for the Gestapo it's a book about five children who lived through the first year of the German invasion of Jersey and it's wow. the first time that story has been told through the eyes of children's fiction and we're going to be publishing her second book next year Lobster Blue but within that within that story a lot of children have read that book said that because they lived through the COVID and the pandemic, 
and they live with that feeling feeling of being restricted and being locked up and not able to see their friends so easily and having some of their freedoms curtailed they really identified with that book so that book's been really helpful as a way of exploring exploring things like resilience friendship what to do in the face of a hardship and how you get through that so that's that's sort of one example and then another example but some of our books are have been written by authors who have lived through difficult times so rapids by anna bowles anna's quite open about this she's a well-known children's editor she has got bipolar disorder bipolar type 2 disorder and she um she 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 wrote a novel called rapids and that book is very much about a young woman um half chinese half english lass who has lived through a really terrible summer of really quite deep clinical depression she's recovered um sorry spring through clinical depression it was spring and then over summer she she recovers and she goes down to london with her best friend chelsea to look at universities and while she's there she develops hypermania so that book's a brilliant way it's very funny very witty it's not at all victim-led it's very much about this you know very feisty young young person who develops this hypermania and she it's all about how she deals with that why she's looking for her dad through a private investigator she's um she's secretly looking for her father to see whether he's got whether whether he's suffered with depression and whether she can relate to him in that way and it's also a really hilarious fan fiction thread that runs throughout the book. It's just, just, it's just very, very good. So that's 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 another example. And then we've got Sam Pollan's book, The Year I Didn't Eat, that won the Lancashire Book of the Year award. That's year nine children across the whole of Lancashire vote for their favourite book, and he won that award. Mm. I've heard that's, of that. Yeah, yeah, it's a great accolade. That yeah. Well, Sam Sam's open about this as well. He suffered. He had an eating disorder when he was twelve. And his character, Max, is 14 and has an eating disorder. And it's we don't hear much about boys who have anorexia. So that was a really, and that's been, that won the Empathy, that got the Empathy Labs Award as well, as did one of our other books, Evolution, which is about a, a boy whose father decides that he wants to transition to becoming female. And that was based on a true story. So some of our books are based on the author's experience, but fictionalised. And some of their books are historical novels that have just got or fantasy novels like Game Weavers or, you know, or that, that have got kind of themes that run throughout them that are relevant to young people and to adults as well. But mm. to our reading audience, young people. Um, yeah. So. And when you when you read a submission, what sense do you get? You know, what, what sets you going when you think this is one for us? <laughs> yeah, well. So, um, so I guess the, the writing itself is the writing engaging. Do you, does it fly off the page? Are you immersed in the story? Are you all the things that every editor would look for in any book? But there's another layer for us, I suppose, that we've built our metadata around um, what what mental health themes does this book touch on? Does this book build through language? Does it build the capacity to respond in readers? Um, are there are there uh, life lessons and challenges and themes that the the readers might be able to engage with and think about in relation to their own life? That's the sort of thing we look for. We don't see we don't see our books as um, a clinic. We don't see our books as uh, medical devices. They're not medical devices. 
they are springboards to therapeutic discussions yeah also they appeal to everyone don't they so it's not just people who have uh, experience of that particular um issue because I I know as a reader I like reading about all sorts of different uh, mental issues just out of interest just you know to help me understand people I know who may have (laughs) certain conditions and exactly I'm waving exactly. <laughs> exactly. no it's very very true it's it's very very true I mean we had a big um yeah the the year I didn't eat talks about calorie counting so in some ways that might be quite triggering to a person that's actually engaging who's actually suffering at the moment where you've got an active eating disorder but it's a really useful way for the rest of us to understand the obsessive thinking that goes along anorexia um it's, you know it's not it's it's the obsessive thinking that keeps keeps the uh if you like the 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 patient or the the person trapped mm. that behavior yeah so it's it's so that's been a really helpful book i think to help people understand that yeah so yeah so that's what that's how we do it there is this thing i mean you build it and uh and i think what you've got is something very very special and unique in the approach that you're taking and and the the, the work you're doing and, and actually creating a new essentially a new art form in the sense of having those links in a book to book your session of therapy you know alongside those books is is a remarkable thing and also the digitization of your products so that they are you know you can turn the pages which you know we we all know that if you're reading you know a kindle book on your phone you know you just that doesn't happen. Uh, you don't get that remember. sort of. I can't even that... remember which way you go. Do you oh, know no, I can't remember. <laughs> uh, you just do it. But yeah. you know, that's that's. Those are a lot of. I mean, every idea you have has a has a cost attached to it, whether it's yes. creative energy or indeed yeah. a physical cost. Yes, you know, a, a capital right. cost, and that's and that's another thing that's so hard to, to to quantify when you start out. You just don't expect so many ways of draining money out of the business it's just extraordinary isn't it I know I know I often think I I often think that publishing is probably one of the I mean I you know I worked with the NHS for years and 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 that's tough but bloody hell I mean publishing just is that is like nothing else really I mean the supply chain is quite fractured at times isn't it you know not it's not smooth it's not smooth it's not and and the discoverability of your books and there's lots of help out there but every, everything comes like you said comes with a cost and sometimes I think that everybody seems to make money except the publisher and sadly the author you know yes mm. <laughs> there's all these people out there to help you get your book there it's a bit sort of like I suppose it's a bit like gold diggers the gold rush yeah gold panning it, yeah you know, it, it, it sort of there were lots of um, paraphernalia, lots of industries that set up around the the, the gold, the, the people that are actually digging for gold. And somebody once said to me, "You make more money selling the spade than you do digging for gold." <laughs> and yeah, I thought, that's true. I think, I think I think the publishing's a little bit like that, really. But but you know, it's also it's also like the most wonderful thing working with writers and seeing us you know working with them and seeing their work come to life and it's also the most exciting thing I've ever done I think as well so it's yeah I don't know it's, well, just... it, it's funny when you say that because we were watching a this is a weird 
<laughs> Oh, that no ego ink with this. Link. Okay, but This is how his brain works. there's a new Netflix series, and I, I, uh, my son uh, James and I uh, watch a lot of professional wrestling because it's his passion, and it's something we can talk about all the time. You know. Yeah. Anyway, this series is called Wrestlers. It's on Netflix. It's just come out. It's about a uh, a sort of down at heel wrestling promotion in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, down on the luck, attracting audiences of about 200 people to their shows, uh, losing money hand over fist. And one of the guys, one of them, senior wrestlers says, you know, you need to run another job to pay for your wrestling addiction. And it's a bit like that with publishing in a way, isn't it? I mean, you know, if it, that's how it feels in a way that the, 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 the high points of publishing are so high when you get something right, when you work with an author, the, you see the physical product come through the door. go into shops, whatever. It's fantastic. But the lows, you know, you kind of, you have to develop a, a, a sort of mentality, I think, where you kind of, you ignore the pressures as much as you can so that you can progress with the positive things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does. At the end of the day, though, I think there has to come a point where it has to be able to wash its own face. Yeah. You know, and and I keep thinking, OK, um, I've got to get to that. I've got to get to that point in the next two years. I think I've got to it's got to be able to wash its own face, you know, because you can't you can't go on forever. I mean, I don't have another job. You know, I, I, I did have a very I, I was I, I kind of. probably rather stupidly really walked away from my last business in somewhat in my, my last job and, and thought now I'm going to give this full time uh, for, for all sorts of reasons it wasn't it was it was a very sort of complicated story that but but I did and um yeah there comes a point where you think yeah this does need to wash its own face at some point and I don't know I don't know what the answer is I I I, 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 we talked a little bit about this, didn't Rebecca, at the, at the conference, that there are some um, independent publishers that come together to form an alliance. Yeah, yes, they have. So we did. you kind Yeah. of share, you share some of that. And I wonder whether, whether I wonder whether that needs to be thought about a bit more, really. Yeah, I know. I agree. We we've talked about it a few times. You know, Yeah. in our in this area and in the north as well, there isn't enough of a feeling of community with the indie publishers, and there should be because we're not. It's not like we're direct competitors. We're actually all fighting the same fight. Yes. And so, you know, Yeah. to be able to share ideas and the woes and the highs, all that sort of thing, I think it Yeah. would be really beneficial. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I'd, I'd join if you... <laughs> well, we've got two members. I'll join your party. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I mean, <laughs> I think we should do something like that, you know, yeah. but I think probably we're all sitting there thinking, Christ, it's just difficult enough to keep keep the plate spinning that we've got to add another I is know. another thing. But I actually... know. I do think that there is this, you know, bond that we're all feeling when we're talking to each other just now. I mean, we're, we've all experienced those pressures, um, that gnawing doubt that creeps in, it, as we discussed, at three in the morning and, Mm. and Yes. you know, uh, Yeah. waiting till month's end, um, sort of limping on and sort of Yeah. wondering whether, you know, you've got Yeah. enough to make make the budget for the for the month. And, and you know, it wasn't. When we when we conceived of Hobeck three four years ago, this is what we expected to be to be engaged with, but that's the reality. And that that actually, I'm not suggesting that suddenly you know half a dozen publishers meeting together regularly and and, and coming up with is going to suddenly turn the tide, but it's certainly going to provide the support that 
we all need yeah no that's what i think and i think we can support yeah. each other as well and promote each other mm, i mean that's partly what the podcast is about is yeah we, we 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 like talking to crime writers and publishers of crime fiction but we also really like talking to other publishers yeah, yeah. It, it sort of makes you think about how um connected we all are even though we publish different in different yeah. areas or, or have different ideas um to yeah. how we go about it so yeah, no, I agree. I, I, I think so. I think so. Because we we publish middle grade, young adult, new adult fiction, and then we're doing some adult nonfiction as well. So we across different genres within those categories. But so I agree, you know, you don't it's not it, it's not about competition it's not really like that is it it's about trying to sort of work together I mean I also wonder whether if we could get if there were more independent publishers that came together whether we I mean obviously the IPG play a big role in that but I mean on the ground the day-to-day grind and days when you're actually working whether there's whether we could do something about this very fractured supply chain as well because it is very it does feel very fractured you know there's not it does it is is. Part of part of what I do every day seems to be telling authors that yes, I know your book isn't in that particular branch of Waterstones. Or sometimes they go into Waterstones and they look up the book on the system and they say, oh, it's showing us out of stock, or oh, I can't find it. Or and and I look at the where I've set it up in in Nielsen, or you know, and I think, well, it's showing for me, so I don't know where the break is. <laughs> I know exactly, exactly, exactly. And I think as well, I think there's this, um, I think there's this sort of, um, it's taken me a long time to understand how all the various pieces fit together. Was it like that for you two as well? To a degree. Yeah. 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 I I suppose we were, you know, we weren't as reliant initially on on bricks and mortar stores. I mean, we're principally eBooks. So, um, you know, we've always done paperback copies of everything we do. Uh, and actually, that runs a little counter to some of our rivals who will just focus on the the ebooks and and, yeah. and you know and that's all they think about is the digital marketing and, yeah. and and supply. But once you get into that thing of you know aspiring to get into bookshops, life complicates exponentially. <laughs> yes, it really does. It really does. Because well, one of the challenges we've got with who we publish for is that young people tend not to be ebook readers right mm-hmm. yes no, I, they, I was um they uh the last keynote speech at the um ipg yeah. he was talking about that um yeah. about the fact that they they look online for inspiration but they buy the book the physical yeah. book yeah yeah so we we have to do both really but the other interesting statistic is that 28 percent of young people will read fiction on their phones so they won't buy a kindle but they will read fiction mm. on their phones. That's interesting. Which is, which is why we've gone for the screen. Why we've we've done what we've done really, which is to kind of make sure our our product's not going to be an app for a while. But it, it's it's it'll be a web app. But you can read it. But as well as buying the book, you can also kind of read it on your screen. So yeah, it's it's interesting the different ways in which people read. But crime fiction is that that that, that does work well, doesn't it? it, it sort of as it ebooks. Mm. Yeah, because yeah. there's, I mean, there's lots definitely... of sort of there's a certain generation in their um, late fifties and above who they've got rid of all their books because they want their houses to be nice and um, you know that Japanese woman who. Oh yeah, yeah, I <laughs> so, so oh, a bit like my, like my house. <laughs> 
well no not like us at all but my ex-parent-in-laws are perfect examples and my dad and my stepmom as well they are kindle readers and they read a lot but they don't have many books in their house at all if any now it's all gone they've got rid of it all yeah yeah yeah, that is our sort of main reader, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's why we have it. My yeah. stepmum. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was a really, there's a really amazing um, book that I read uh, by Naomi Naomi Barron, um, and it's called How We Read Now. And she did this massive kind of research study on um, just that, really, how 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 people kind of read and the different formats they read in, and what works and what doesn't work in what setting. And her findings essentially said that for students, students still prefer textbooks. They still mm. prefer print. And um and and small children really should have print, not 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 apps, not on the on the phone. That's that that augments the learning, but it, it does but you can't rely on that alone. It's print that does the job and it's print that helps us absorb the information much more deeply. And we do much more deep what she calls deep reading when we read print. But I'm talking about education as, as much as anything here. A lot of the big publishers are just going to the digital, digital only like Pearson do all of our stuff on digital mm. now. But what she did, they the other finding was that students do like digital, but they use it for revision. So they use it as a way of being able to kind of remind themselves of what it is they've read. Yes, so yeah, place, I can a, see that. There's yeah, there's a place. Yeah, and the other the other thing she said was that when you scroll, when you you read much more shallowly in a much more shallow way, when you scroll, mm. so yeah, that you I need pagination to read deeply. Yeah. That's fascinating. I mean, personally, as a reader, I don't know how typical I am, but I still love print books. And for pleasure, I I always read print books. I don't use Kindle. I only use the Kindle or the Kindle app on my phone for submissions to us. (laughs) That's all I use it for. Yeah. Because I do feel that it's an experience. When I'm sat with a book in a chair or or wherever I am, in the post office queue, in the car, (laughs) it still feels like much more of an experience. So like that sort of deep reading or deep understanding yeah. that you're talking about I can relate to that yeah yeah no it's very interesting it, it, I, I I'm the same I don't like yeah I'm not a personal fan of Kindle at all I've got one but it's just stuck in stuck in the wardrobe somewhere <laughs> <laughs> flat battery <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah. but yeah books never run out of battery do they no that's true that's true <laughs> uh and they they handle the sun glare a lot better than than screens do that's for sure yeah. um so yeah. you're talking about you know getting the business zontold to, to the point where it's going to wipe its face in a couple of years right. and I hope so. yes. yeah exactly i mean that's that's the nature of it isn't it it's hope but yeah. um can you i mean it's it's the the actual practical steps to get there feel very elusive i mean we we gone through this process of following various um book uh principles you know gurus or people who are saying oh this is how you improve your sales and it seems to be such small increments uh on amazon for instance (laughs) changing the order of your blurbs um putting in more emotive language uh all sorts keywords of keywords and... keywords changing your keywords every month all of that stuff it just feels you know that there's no there's no everyone's selling a formula but there isn't one really is there there's the spades 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I don't think there is a formula. I, I don't. I I think it's just perseverance. I think it's the thing about publishing that's I think difficult for small organisations like ourselves is that mm. there are just so many jobs to do, so yes. many jobs to do. So you've got your social marketing, which you've got your social media, which you've got to keep up to date. You've got your Amazon feeds, which you've got to keep up to date. Like you said, you know, you're supposed to add different videos. You're supposed to change your keyword. You're supposed to fiddle with it every day and make sure once a week, go in and change your shop front. And, 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 and then you find you put your new book up there and two days later, they're saying it's out of stock and it's only available through third party sellers. And they are a nightmare. They are a nightmare for small Indies, an absolute nightmare. And of course, they're not our friends. Let's face it. They no, they're not. No, no. It's none of it's things. none of it's set up for our benefit. No, absolutely, absolutely not. not. It's set up to thwart us and frustrate us every way they can. Yeah. So it's um. So, but you know, there's that job, and then of course there's the um there's the metadata, getting the metadata right. There's all the production side of the, you know, getting the manuscript from finished product to copy edited, typeset, proofread. There's the cover design. There's and then of course there's all the marketing. There's the marketing campaigns. There's the advertising. How much money should you spend in the bookseller advertising? How much money should you spend in the gardener's catalogs advertising? Everything's a cost, isn't it? And everything needs. And then there's there's the whole marketing campaign. How do you take this book and market it? So I've just I've just learned the kind of the steps and trying to sort of like um, get other people to help me with them with the things I'm not very good at and. And yeah, just doing that. And then there's there's also, you know, doing your you're getting there's all the conferences as well, isn't there? There's the <laughs> the London Book Fair, the Bologna, the, and the IPG festivals and trying to get your kind of um get your brochure sorted and and then of course there's sales because you get all that distribution and marketing, but there's sales. No business can survive without sales. And I thought stupidly, very stupidly, I was duped into thinking that you didn't really need to have to go around talking to bookshops anymore because it was all taken care of via tech, that as long as your metadata was out there and you had an advert in the catalogue and you were on a device, you didn't really need to bother with going to talk to bookshops. I've discovered that to my peril. This is not true. So with one of the things I'm going to start doing is I'm going to start building into my week about a day and a half going out and physically visiting bookshops and talking to them with our brochures and i can't afford a sales team so i'm gonna to have to do it myself. No. yeah we were, we were saying something very similar <laughs> weren't we? you, yeah. you were saying that you could do that yeah to start off going <laughs> in the sort of local area and expanding and whenever we go book shopping as regular people we do often say oh by the way <laughs> we went yeah so yeah if you're doing that at weekends yeah. it's hopeless you've got to do it in the week haven't you and yeah yeah um and you've got to catch people on the right day and all that stuff yeah. it's it's yeah. but it's you're absolutely right that is i mean maybe that's something that collectively can be sorted out as a as a cooperative or some sort of uh, well i think know. so i think so you know i think so let's take our brochures round and sort because as long as we're listed with gardeners and we've got the relationships with gardeners and we're in the system yeah we, we're discoverable through technology mm. but i think they do need to see a face i think mm. they do yeah. fashioned business is still about relationships at the end of the day it is, you yeah. know, and uh, and that's where 
that's where they they who should not be named are so frustrating because you can't there's no one person there that you that that that, that is the you know a small publisher's friend there's you know there's no sort of person you can go to talk to you know if you want to talk to gardeners you ring out you talk to adrian or you talk to phil there's people attached to these yeah. <laughs> these industries and at the publishing houses i mean you know clays yeah. or cpi yes. or anything like that there's relationships there's, yeah there's relationships but unfortunately there isn't there is there there isn't on amazon there's no person you get a different person every time you write a ticket nine times out of ten they completely misunderstand what it is you're asking them <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's so frustrating and and yeah 80 percent of books are sold through them so yeah it's it's the monster we can't live without but we have to live with and even though we don't want to live with it (laughs) yeah yeah okay well let's let's... some lovely bots on amazon yeah absolutely let's let's look think positively then i mean i'm sorry it might be really negative no no not at all not at all because you know we are conscious that on our show the 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 narrative has been a bit negative and last week um anyone listening to the show i mean you know as i will explain before we get to this interview um you know i shared a, my own mental health crisis of last week and uh threw away the usual format and to talk about it and it, you know it was a difficult thing to do but um you know that's the nature of it i mean yeah. so, you know i don't think you can do an honest podcast about independent publishing without reflecting on yeah. all the pressures mm. and the difficulties yeah. that are coming along and on top of that now we're in an economic cycle which is reducing people's ability to buy books because yes. you know they need yes. to buy probably more essential things Cat food yeah so <laughs> it's, you know, let's not let's not pretend it's not difficult but at the yeah. same time where does your uh, positivity come from personally when you're thinking about getting to that that future of, of you know the business supporting itself um in the you know how do you how do you you know find those moments of when things are tough thinking more positively because obviously you have the professional training around that anyway but it's difficult and you know you still have to apply it to yourself and that's not so easy no no it isn't it isn't so i i practice nichiren nichiren buddhism so uh, that helps. So I have a sort of a very, it's quite a new spiritual practice. Um, but um, yeah, I've been sort of chanting probably for just under two years. That really helps. Mm. So it helps me kind of put things into perspective. Um, it helps me sort of realise that, that, you know, that sometimes struggles, there's opportunities within struggles that you just have to sort of look for and believe in and that yeah you know that, that if that 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 um yeah that that sort of like if things aren't working well there's often although it hurts and it can leave you feeling really dreadful there's often solutions in there somewhere if you look hard enough if you kind of think it through and um and if if that door closes and it's not going to work you just you kind of believe that another door will open so that 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 kind of you know belief that they that 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 anything in the universe we live in anything's possible, and you just have to kind of keep on drawing on that energy if you like drawing on that belief that things can be possible and things can work and you can you can achieve what you want to achieve if 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 you just believe that it might not be always in the shape same shape or package that you imagined, 
but you will be okay. Fundamentally, it's about you will be okay. It will be okay. Mm. You know, it's it's almost yeah. like you you know don't worry, everything will be all right. The kind of Bob Marley song in a way. <laughs> so, so that really helps. Charm team really helps me. So that's on a personal thing, a personal level. But commercially, you know, thinking about things commercially, I think I think I know we have. I know that we um, we've got some wonderful authors with some wonderful books. And I think it's just about working out what the path to get those books out there is. And I think I can see the path. I think it's going to involve it's going to involve a lot of work on the ground, talking to independent bookshops, building those relationships, making sure we work with authors to get amazing content out there, going in and talking to schools mm. and building this bibliotherapy platform, I think, where we will need to work with other publishers because we can't. We can't publish everything on the platform. We'll, people will come. They'll find we're only going up five books a year. You know, it's it's so. So I think that 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 having a kind of um, a, a, what's the path? You know, what's and I often get up early in the morning. And I often sit down with a big sheet of paper, and I will write my thoughts down. And I will work out. I will draw like a mind map of how I think mm-hmm. I'm going to get there. And I think it's just the creativity. It's the human creativity um joy of what we're doing that keeps that that is the flame the internal flame for me yeah yeah that's wonderful and the belief the belief in what yeah. in what you're creating yeah, yeah. Which, I, mean, I feel that very strongly coming from you so absolutely totally yeah. and you know it's funny because i was just thinking i've got a mind map lying on the floor but i wrote earlier <laughs> this week so exactly I, I know exactly where you're coming from right yeah. now then let's let's take this this interview to a real dark place um because it is it is time for Rebecca's random question. <laughs> it, well, we're talking about difficult times. Now, for me, when I'm going through a difficult time, there's one TV program I will watch again and again and again, and that will help me. That's my sort of TV therapy. So my question to you is, what is your TV therapy? Oh gosh, it depends. I've got. I, I am a bit of a. I am a bit of a blockbuster obsessive watcher. When I get into something, I will. Yeah, just I'm a bit of a binge watcher. Splurge it. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. So gosh, I've got to think. Have I got to just pick one? Well, you, you could pick your most recent one if you like. My recent one. My most recent one. Oh, I'm watching this really crappy program on Netflix at the moment called Designated Survivor. Oh, I've seen that. Yeah, with um, Keith Sutherland in it. It was in twenty four. It... I used to love twenty four. Oh, yeah, I remember twenty four. Oh, it's I really, it. it is, it is, it's yeah, it's compellingly crap. I mean, you know, it, <laughs> so for those who haven't seen Designated Survivor, yeah. he's a minor member of the government who yeah. is stuck uh, while the um, State of the Nation address is being made in Capitol Hill, in front of Congress. He's stuck in a hotel somewhere. Uh, just in case something happens. And guess what? Something happens. Terrorists something blow happens. up Congress and kill everybody. And so yeah. he's immediately sworn in as the president. Yeah. And the premise sounds really good. It's really good. That premise is really good. But the plot around the uh, plot to kill him and bring down the American government is ludicrous. <laughs> and then it sort of Absolutely settles into ludicrous. a sort of West Wing I love the West Wing, though. Sub-West Wing kind of <laughs> yeah, plot. Just the West where Wing. Where every week 
there's an existential crisis facing America or his presidency yeah. and the Republicans yeah. are going to bring him down and all this sort of malarkey. Yes. And then he starts running for president in his own right for a second yeah. term. Yes. And there's all this family stuff. Um, his wife disappears completely weirdly, like halfway through the series, just, you know, because she's quite a well-known actress, Natasha Macalone or whatever her name is. Yeah. Uh, she was in Truman, uh, the Truman Show. Uh, she she buggers off. Um, and yeah. Yeah. Uh, then it yeah. stopped midway through series four, yeah, season three, three or four. I can't remember. There were three seasons. I'm only on season one. I'm only on season oh. one. So, yeah. Oh, right. You've done some spoilers. No, 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 okay, no not it's totally. Okay. Because, no. because it is so, it's, it's, it's so, you kind of know what's going to happen. So, sometimes that's what I do. And I, it just, it helps me switch off because it, it's the kind of telly where you just go, meh. You know, yeah, you just don't exactly, use your brain. Yeah. We but do that one, too. We watch any old rubbish, really. I know, just to switch off, just to switch off. There's well, another thing I used to watch. Uh, I watched quite um, voraciously just after my mum died. Uh, and I got really into the Big Bang Theory. Love the Big Bang Theory. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, we've that's, got Jigsaw, we've got the Lego. That's another thing I go to when I'm feeling a bit, oh. Yeah, no, I can see that. Because oh, you, you yeah. can just forget who you are, can't you? And you yeah. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what, tell me, it's the Gilmore Girls. Gilmore Girls is my, if, oh. if I'm feeling really ill or just really down, I will re-watch the Gilmore Girls because I, I love that show. <laughs> yeah, I know. My youngest daughter is a massive Gilmore Girl fan, so I used to watch it with her. Yeah. <laughs> but my yeah. middle son got into it. And yeah. so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Weirdly, my relationship with him improved after he started watching the Gilmore Girls. Yes. Because I think yes. he, he saw a bit of um, Lorelai and me because always drinking coffee, always getting into pickles. <laughs> <laughs> And he had sympathy for me all of a sudden, so that was quite yeah. nice. I've always thought of you as Phoebe from Friends in many ways. <laughs> yeah, I, I did use to get a bit of that, yeah. Pookie. And yeah. I, I guess I go back yeah. to old sci-fi if I'm really... Blake Seven you yeah, watch, Blake don't Seven. you? Yeah, Blake Seven. I watch, oh, re-watch yes. Blake Seven. Uh, and a bit of Tom Baker, Doctor Who. And, yes. Um, Genesis of the Daleks. We, we, are, we are loving The Return of Neighbours uh, this week. I, it came oh, back Lord. to Amazon. You know what? Every lunchtime now... So we're working. We work really hard in the morning, and then it's lunchtime, and we watch Neighbours like with eighteen again. And they they've somehow managed to upgrade the sets uh, and the filming quality, but <laughs> okay. still have exactly the same social dynamics and storyline and sort of feel yeah. to it as it did yeah. in the eighties. It's an yeah. incredible achievement, I think. <laughs> uh, it's um and yeah, I mean it's vapid as hell. Oh, I love it, it though. And, yeah. to it every day. and I just <laughs> love those scenes which end with a hug and then the person looking over the shoulder sort of with a thousand yard stare <laughs> uh, <laughs> showing that they're insincere which is really hard to write by the way I was just trying to do a scene like that on, in the book I'm writing at the moment and it's really hard to, yeah, to recreate to that there's a very soap <laughs> thing isn't it I mean yes. to do that look yes. you know, I used to do it in Dallas all the time so yeah, um, yeah. yeah. There we go. I think everybody needs, don't they? They need their go-to Escape. TV. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I know there are listeners who don't actually have a TV. Oh, okay. Those people don't need it then. <laughs> no, some people don't, do they? The Archers. <laughs> no, I, I yeah. I've watched House a few, t- a couple of times. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I've got films I go back to that yeah. I love. Old films that I love, absolutely love. So I absolutely love. You've got Mal with them. Uh, oh, yeah. Good one. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like that, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. Yes. Good fun. There you go. 
Well, look, Elaine, uh, we wish you every success with Zontol and, and, you know, hopefully, you know, you know, maybe we meet up again. And obviously we want to keep in contact absolutely, in terms please. of supporting each other. Yeah. But, and if but we do in terms of this lights. podcast, you know, let's hopefully it's going in two years time and two years time you're celebrating massive success. And um, you too. Or, yeah, you exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We all are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, it's been a real pleasure. And uh, where can so people much. find your company uh, online? We've got a we've got a website, uh, zontold.com, but it is about to be replaced in November with a, a much better platform. Um, but we've got um we're on uh, Instagram. We don't do as much of that as we should do. Facebook, all the usual social media things really, but but we have got we've got a website as well. All my all our email addresses are on there and phone number, so people can contact us that way too. Well, it's been a real pleasure and a really inspiring interview. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you for thank you for your time for inviting me. I really enjoyed it. A real sense of a kindred spirit there. Yes, and, definitely. And, and oh. as you heard in the interview, we are, well, I mean, we at least um, agreed that we will start working together to see where there are areas where, you know, Hoback and Zontold can, uh, of areas of in- mutual interest that overlap and where we and can support, support each other. Yeah, yeah. So that was great. And and to any other publishers, you know, from the north, um, <laughs> interested in 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 in, in getting in- involved in something like this, um, let us know. Yeah. Because we we you know the the more the better really. Um, you know, it's really about sort of mutual support because anyone working in publishing and, and running a publishing company it's it's a fairly isolated existence especially at this level yeah and that's one thing i got from the um the drinks at the ipg because I, I did t- speak to a couple of other publishers and i just thought i'm not the only one <laughs> or we're not the only ones it and it was reassuring that there are other people as someone else i spoke to from a different publisher and we were talking about how you you date watch through the month Mm. So the money comes in at the same time and the money goes out generally at the same points in the month. Mm. So every day you wake up and you think, oh, it's only the 23rd or whatever. Or, oh, thank God, it's the 30th. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, you know, I I thought I was fairly unique in that, but obviously not. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Um, but, you know, the, the impact is unique in terms of how you feel. But it's a, it's a common theme. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, look, that was a really great interview with Elaine, and um, we shall we shall watch Zuntold's progress with with great interest. Um, who's our guest next week? I knew you were going to ask me that, and because it's first thing in the morning on a Sunday, I forgot to check. Okay, right. Well, can you check while I keep talking? I, well, it's, I have to go on the laptop. All right, you run off, and I shall keep talking, and I shall reveal. Uh, well, I mean, last week you probably heard that we were. About to head off to Cardiff to take my son James to university for the first time, and uh, we did that. And uh, it was a, it was a it was a full on day. I mean, I drove four hundred and fifteen miles to, up to Manchester, pick him up, and then back down to Cardiff, and then back home, and all that sort of thing. And uh, we arrived, and that's fine. He's got a great room, um, you know, not cheap, but a good room. And, uh, you know, bought him the usual starter kit of stuff to to cook with and to cook uh, ingredients-wise and left him there. And, uh, you know, during the week, he's been gradually getting out there and making new friends and whatever. But um, he revealed to me this sort of middle of the week, he'd made a boo-boo. He'd gone a week early 
to university. And in fact, Freshers' Week is this coming week. So, uh, but he's been remarkably persistent and he's had nights out with second and third years. Every night he's found new groups of friends. He's got new network and <laughs> much to his credit, despite making that boo-boo of going a week too early for, for his own contemporaries, he's reached out and found fellow students in older age groups who've adopted him. So fair play. Right. I, um, I'm going to surprise you because I'm going to not tell you who's on next week. It's a surprise. And I'll explain offline later. But I would like to tell a story about what happened last week with a parcel. Oh, yes. Very quickly. Yeah, this is a fun story. So (laughs) we're going to leave this this podcast with a wonderful and, uh, yeah, just a really lovely little tale. It's a fun story. So um, we had an order on our website from a guy in uh, Las Vegas asking for a signed copy of Chasing the Dragon. Fine. I sent a copy up to Mark Whiteman, who lives in um, uh, Linlithgow. Linlithgow in Scotland. Mark signed the copy and he posted it. Um, fine. Then uh, only it's only about a week later, we had an e- email from this guy in Las Vegas saying, um, I'm not a random person. I'm emailing you because I've received a parcel and on the back of the parcel is a label with your company name on it. And the parcel is um, some A4 clip frames. And it says on the back, a return address, Linlithgow in Scotland, but Hobeck Books. And I'm confused. He said, I did order a signed copy of a book called Chasing a Dragon, but I've got some A4 clip frames from you. <laughs> I was stumped initially. thought, well, I, don't, I have no idea. So... And then he went on to say that uh, he opened the parcel because it was addressed to him on the the customs label, had his address on it. And uh, inside was a printed off email from uh, somebody called Sarah Willis. No, from Amazon to somebody called Sarah Willis saying, yes, you may return your A4 clip frames. So (laughs) we, we were trying to work out what had happened. So we assumed that the customs label from the the copy of Chasing a Dragon had somehow fallen off or the postman or postwoman hadn't put it on the right parcel and it ended up on these clip frames in Lilithgow. So Sarah Willis, we presume, lives in Lilithgow as well and was returning her A4 clip frames to Amazon. But as it had the customs label on, it went to the airport and the airport, they threw it on the plane and it went to this guy in Las Vegas, Um, even though it says small packet, 500 grams or less on it. Which it clearly isn't, yeah. But it got through. So we we thought, oh, okay, we're going to have to resend the parcel then. But we, I said to this guy, because you never know. I, I'm always, you know, what I'm like the teeny tiny possibility that something good will happen. I said, would it be okay if you just wait a week or so to see if the parcel, the real parcel, turns up? I thought it's not going to turn up. It hasn't got the customs label on it. It's sat in the airport, lost and found, or whatever. Somebody's hopefully going to open it and read it and love it, but. We'll have to send another copy to this guy. But yesterday he emailed with the good news that the book arrived. So he's got A4 clip frames and a book. Yes, and I don't think the A4 clip frames were meant to go overseas. No, I'm sure they were. They were meant to go to Amazon in the UK. It's lovely that that the book has finally arrived and um, he's a happy recipient of some clip frames as well. I mean, well, it's, it's, it's amazing, isn't it? And that is one of the challenges of running this business because we do get international orders and, you know, you just don't know. And 
actually mark sent it by the sort of the cheapest uh, method um and when you do that it says it takes up to six weeks it took a week yeah that's pretty <laughs> that's pretty slick even though it didn't have the customs label on it yeah well that's a lovely way to finish this week's edition of the Hobgast Book Show. Our guest next week is a mystery. It's a mystery. Not Liz mystery, but a mystery. A mystery. Right, okay. Well, I'm, I'm intrigued. Uh, I do hope I know who I'm going to be speaking to when I speak to them. You will do. Okay. Well, that's been uh, lovely. Um, thank you for in, uh, for listening to this week's edition of the Hobcast Book Show. We do appreciate it. And for all the feedback that we got, certainly last week after the show, um, for understandable reasons. But uh, I, as I say, said earlier in the programme, Extremely grateful for all the support that we've received. Uh, so for more details about our company, Hobeck Books, go to www.hobeck.net for details of all the authors, audiobooks and all that stuff and blogs and archpub.net for our publishing services where I wrote a new blog this week. You about did. AI. And it was very good. And I, I, I spread it all over social media. Thank so you. Hopefully Thank you. people have read it. Yeah. Um, and that uh, is obviously part of it. And adrianhobartnarration.com as well. And a lot of our websites, which uh, the bill for that came out this week. <laughs> so I thought I'd better mention it as well. Yes. But look, it's really fantastic that we can share um, every week our thoughts on things and that you so kindly listen to us. And uh, please recommend us to your mates. And uh, don't forget to subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts from to the whole cast book show. But for myself, Adrian Hobart. And myself, Rebecca Collins. Thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful and creative week. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Hobcast from Hobeck Books with Adrian Hobart and Rebecca Collins. You can find the show notes at our website, www.hobeck.net. You can also use the exclusive Hobcast discount code for any of the products at our Hobeck online store. Just enter the code HOBCAST20 for a 20% discount. Don't forget to subscribe to the Hobcast and feel free to contact us with any feedback. Until next time, remember our motto, Trad Values, Indie Spirit. Indie Spirit.